This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. Uh, hello and welcome to Voices of the Peace. My name is Ted Sloan and first and foremost, we'd like to acknowledge that we're filming this on the traditional territory of the Denizah. Secondly, thank you for tuning in. We've had quite a lot of people give us some feedback and suggest guests. It's been a lot of fun to hear what you have to say. And thank you so much. We love all the comments. Uh, if you're just tuning in, this show was created as a way to find out more about the town that we live in. Um, just to find out the stories about it. When you drive down the street and you go, who built the kids' arena? Or how did the North Peace Arena end up here? Or was that building always that building? Or what did the town look like 50 years ago? Well, that's why we created this, so that we could find out the stories. We could celebrate those things, because what we're made out of is simply phenomenal. We're finding those stories. We're finding out the teams behind it all. And we partnered with a great team to help make this possible. We partnered with Urban Systems, who helped build vibrant communities. And we partnered with North River Midstream, who know that with the right players and the right uh, community party, we can do this. My name is Ted Sloan. Welcome to Voices of the Peace. Our next guest today is someone who everyone has told me I had to interview, and I'm, I'm very excited about this, but I did want to try and give him the proper intro that he deserves. You see, this gentleman, if he wrote a book, and he's mentioned that he might, I would definitely read it, because you see, this gentleman knows the city inside out, and the reason why I have him on this is because he, not only did he help build the city, but he was there for people when they needed it. You see, when things went wrong in our city, he and his team were there to fix it. When someone was hurt, they rushed out to help. When something was on fire, they'd be on their way. He is a gentleman who I grew up wanting to be. And more than that, he was part of the arts. He was part of the culture. I mean, when you think Fort St. John, this name comes up so quickly. It's, it's amazing. And recent times have highlighted how important our frontline and emergency responders are to the health and safety of our community. And so not only do we get to talk to this gentleman about Fort St. John, but I get to talk to him about the history of our emergency services and where it started. So I, I'm excited. Um, I'm also, I'm just excited to hear what you have to say today, Larry, because you, you write so much. Oh, I should officially, this is Larry Evans, man extraordinaire, who I learned today plays the guitar from time to time. No. <laughs> but I, I didn't, okay, so are you, we talked a little bit earlier. Are you born and raised in Fort, no, you were born somewhere and then came here right away. Where, yeah, where? I was born in Lloydminster, Saskatchewan, and uh, I came as soon as I could and I brought my parents. <laughs> It was uh, 1952. We were with the oil. Okay. The oil at that time, there was if you hit a gas well in those days, you capped it because there was no way to get it out. There was no pipelines, and the plant in Taylor hadn't been built, so they were after oil. And my dad uh, was a tool push for Commonwealth Drilling, and they hit oil on the west side of town here, on Jack McLeod's uh, land. Really. And uh, that's how I came to meet Ma Murray, and she became a good friend of ours too. But that was, uh, that, there had been other explorations around here, but the early 50s was when it really took off. And the oil people moved in and uh, it changed, of course, the, the, the face of Fort St. John forever too, the oil patch is what they called it. Uh, when the oil people first showed up here, they were not very well liked. They were just about two steps above gypsies. Okay. So uh, there was a lot of uh, animosity sometimes and fights and what have you between the oil people and the farmers and the cowboys and everything. And 
it kind of smoothed itself out after a while because as it got more busy, the, the rigs that were coming in didn't have the hands. See, the first rigs that came in came in with the men that worked the rigs, huh? Okay. But as more rigs came in, they needed more hands, and they discovered that the farmers around here uh, could operate any kind of machinery, and they knew what not to stick their fingers in. <laughs> so a lot of them were hired in the wintertime to work the rigs. And it like it's it kind of settled down, but the bars at one time used to be quite rocking and rolling with fights and whatever. Well, I was going to ask, how have you seen the like one of the questions is how have you seen the town change? It's so interesting because now, like when you think Fort Saint John, it's an oil and gas town. This is mm -hmm. like this is who we are. So to know that at the beginning it was a quite a rocky relationship. Oh yeah, it was. It was well prior to the oil patch, you know, showing up here, the farmers that was the mainstay here, and over the years, uh, it's fallen upon the farmers a couple of times to keep the doors of Fort St. John open when everything else went south, which happened in the early 80s mm -hmm. and continued to end up about 86. But we went through a horrible period there and there wasn't much going on, but the farmers, they couldn't pick up their land and leave, so they kept farming away and, and supporting Fort St. John. And we made it through a couple of downturns that's something on that the back I, to the farmers. I say, that's something I really appreciate about this town, um, growing up here and growing up in Clearview a little bit is Fort St. John is really good. When you talk about it, when, when times get hard, Fort St. John's very good at opening a door and going, what do you need? Uh, can I help? Or when, when things get tough, we like to stick together, which is really, yeah. well, I was, so I was gonna ask on that one. Why did you, if you were here, what kept you in Fort St. John? What kept me in Fort St. John? I don't know. I, I, I love Fort St. John now, but when we first got here, like I, I mean, my memory goes back to about the time I was seven when Kenny Chase and I, we, we were buds all through. The, I, I write a lot of stories when I mention Kenny in them. But uh, we, I started school here. Uh, I went through all through school and graduated when I was 20. There's a whole new another story there, but I did graduate. But uh, when I graduated, I, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I had qualified on a couple of programs, but I went up the highway working on a gravel crusher, and that was really good. So when they shut her down for the fall, I came back down, and they were advertising at that time for a fireman full-time fireman in Fort St. John. So I applied and uh, Carl Lutz, who knew my dad, uh, said, okay, you're hired. So I thought, well, I'll stay around for, you know, the winter and then head back up the highway in the summer. But 31 years later, I walked out the door as fire chief. But during those times, I've, I, I made a lot of friends. I've seen a lot of stuff that the normal person will never see in their lifetime. All of us did that, that on the fire department. In, I joined in January the 17th, 1972. You mentioned that, you were you fifth one hired or? or I'm not sure, 10? fifth or sixth in there. Okay. Uh, and by that time, that coat two had left because of the wages and there was two more left. So there was four, I, I made the fourth one when, when I was hired, there was four guys on duty. So if there was a fire, would it be four and volunteers or was it you guys? No, got no it everything? would be uh, one, one guy at the fire hall and the volunteers. When okay. I joined, the volunteers far outnumbered the paid men. There was 35 volunteers because they needed them. And the paid men, of course, what happened was on January the 1st, 1972, the town took over the ambulance and gave it to the fire department because they had people there and they had this nice new building to house an ambulance. So that's where it was. Prior to that, we had Ernie Carrier and there's another you know old name everybody knows about, the older people. And he was a dog catcher and ambulance attendant. And if he was out somewhere and the police needed, say, a body recovery, mm -hmm. 
he wouldn't be available. So they sometimes had to load the body themselves and take it to the morgue. So when the fire department came along, they discovered that we did body recovery. Well, they fell in love with us. <laughs> and uh, they called us and we eventually, you know, formed really close relationships with them and, and got to know them quite well. They'd come down to the fire hall in the evening and shoot pool till they got a call or whatever. And But uh, we, we did really, a lot of things with the RCMP because at that time they couldn't really uh, hang around with anybody other than themselves but mm -hmm. because we were another what we call essential service we we got to be quite good friends with them and as the years progressed it it stayed that we we ran the ambulance out of the fire hall for 25 years that's we lost it in 1997 1997 that's really recent yeah well they they had a big petition about uh, keeping it in the fire hall, but at that time, uh, British Columbia Health Services mm -hmm. had tried to have pulled all the ambulances. We were one of the last to go. Us and Kitimat were, were the last ambulances to, to you know to leave the fire hall. I'm, I'm curious. Um, just you've done a lot. I mean, you said you walked in uh, and you were young. How did you get? Did you just have to learn on the job, or was there training? Oh, yeah, that... there, there wasn't a lot of training when I started. There was volunteers, and they'd been around for a while. The equipment, uh, it certainly wasn't like it is today. I mean, uh, it, the, the general consensus is that you put the wet stuff on the red stuff and put the fire out sort of thing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we did have... When I started, we have had the old-fashioned gas masks with the canisters. Uh -huh. Said not for firefighting, right on top of them. But <laughs> we used them for a while, and then they they uh, bought us self-contained breathing apparatus, and you know that that was something that we we learned with right away. And uh, over the years, there was a lot of training offered once it you know the, the fire services got rolling, and uh, the Justice Institute opened, and we sent a lot of guys there. Uh, one of the biggest training sessions I think we ever had was uh, at Kamano. I don't know if you're familiar with Kamano, but it was built over by Kitimat okay. for uh, power, I think, and they had built a town and then they just completely abandoned it. The fire commissioner got permission to go in and burn it, and they, they put out the word to all the fire departments in BC that there would be training available, live training, and we sent a lot of our guys over there, but for the most part, we learned on the job. Although once the JI got involved, they came up and, and gave us, you know, more training and that. But uh, uh, it, it was something that when I started, there was nothing. We had a, a in-house stuff, you know, and, and learn how to shoot, put a nozzle on a hose and, and you know, run the trucks and mm -hmm. what have you. But uh, it, it, uh, it wasn't until later that we had uh, confined entry training. Uh, we also trained constantly on the ambulance, right? I guess that was the first training I had was the industrial first aid course. It was a two-week course that was a rough, a rough go, I'll tell you. And then we had a, a three-hour written and a two-hour practical. And I took that over the, my career on the ambulance 11 times. Wow. I went from C to B, to B, to A, and then I got in. Every time you got an A, you got that was three years. Okay. You could keep it, but it was a very detailed course, and it helped us lots on the ambulance, and that was uh, that helped us quite a bit uh, in, in other things because we, we learned how to train, and then we carried that over to the fire side of it, and uh, everybody, you know, got on board with it. We had to. 
Well, I was going to, something, so, so my mom was in the medical field, and she mentioned that Fort St. John was both a gold mine, because she said that there were things that she never thought she would do. Um, she got to, she, there, essentially, and this has been in other industries as well, she said, nobody was here to do it, so I had to do it. And it sounds like in firefighting and paramedics, it's not though you can just yeah. call, hey, I need someone there. It sounded like well, yeah. there was a job. You guys had to cover it. Well, this was it. I mean, that, I mean, and today you have what is called layered responses. You get in a vehicle accident, you get at least two cop cars usually, mm -hmm. a fire truck and an ambulance. Well, when we had an accident, you got two firefighters and one policeman, and we did the best we could, and if we needed more, we would call our guys in, and they would respond in either the other ambulance or what we called the rescue vehicle. Okay. Back in those days, but there was nobody else to call on, and that was and the reason we did body recovery is because the coroner in those days wasn't based out of here; it was based out of Dawson, and and they you know uh, they had no way of transporting bodies, so we kind of fell into that, and we wound up doing that too. This is, and you don't have to answer this question. I always really uh, appreciated firefighters in small towns. And, and perhaps you most of all then in this category, because Fort St. John is such a small town, everyone knows what everyone's doing before you do it. Um, mm -hmm. So it must be interesting to be a firefighter in a town where you know everybody. Well, it was, and it was always, uh, it was always our fear. I think everybody's fear at the fire hall that we would respond to somebody that we knew really well. And a couple of us did over the years, unfortunately. But I mean, it was just something you dealt with and you know, you knew the families of the people and that, and it, it was kind of hard in, in a way, but uh, we, we, we sucked it up. We drank a lot. I'm, I'm here to say that today, that that was one of our outs that, uh, uh, you know, after a shift or something, we might, if we had a bad shift, might have a few beers sort of thing, so. Well, you mentioned that, that firefighters and response, uh, early responders, you guys see things that people don't see every day. Oh, no, I mean, that. So all of us at one time or another that, that were there during the ambulance years seen things that, I mean, like I say, the, the, the average person they would never see or hope to never see anyway. Well, I think, and, and again, I don't, I don't want to say the wrong thing here, but on the other hand, I think it's, it's I want to say thank you because I know um, in the emergencies that I've been part of, that small town thing must be terrible for you guys. But it's very comforting for me because often when I've had someone where I've had to have a firefighter over, it's been such a nice thing. I'm going through a terrible time, but to have someone I know yeah. pull up beside me and go, it's going to be, we're going to do the best we can yeah. is such a gift. So th thank you guys. I know that's a great burden on you, but yeah. it's, it's very much. We, we did that too. Yeah. That was, you know, comforted the families after the fact because we knew them. But yeah, that, that was, I mean, there was a lot of good times too. I mean, there was uh, the parties and uh, annual general meetings and just the, uh, the the things on like every second Thursday we we had practice and that's when the volunteers came in and mm -hmm. and we we uh, you know had had some sort of uh, you know either hose training or ladder training or whatever and afterwards we'd sit around and play cards and talk and after a big fire or something we'd all had you know when once everything was put away and cleaned up we'd all meet upstairs and uh, sometimes the city would buy us breakfast because we had missed breakfast and that was in the contract sort of thing so. Wait, breakfast was in the contract? Well, food, if you missed a meal, if you were at a fire or something, and that was uh, that was uh, in our contract, yeah. That's, I didn't know that. Yeah, I don't know if it is today, but I, and it was, I don't know if it was a written thing in the contract, but it was something that, that they did. That's pretty wonderful. For us. That was, uh, and that came back, that goes back to the days of the volunteers. 
when they had to take, you know, their time to come and, and do whatever they had to do. Mm -hmm. So be, before 1971, it was strictly volunteer. I remember as a kid growing up watching them, you know, run to fires and that, and, and some of the guys that I, 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 I knew from, because people had pointed it out to me. Mm -hmm. There was a couple still on the fire department when I joined, Larry McLeod, who joined the fire department in 1947, was still wow. on, on, the, uh, on, on the fire department, yeah. Did you ever, when you were little, did you ever say, I want it like, did kids when you were your age go, I want, like nowadays, a kindergarten students, grade one, grade two, grade eight, or go, I want to be a firefighter. Like, did, did people say that back then or? Uh, not really. I, I don't, I don't remember it. Uh, what, believe it or not, we were baby boomers after the second world war. And that was still on a lot of people's minds. So, uh, we wanted to be warriors or whatever. And, uh, in grade eight, I joined cadets. Mm, okay. That was, uh, and there, that was quite a, uh, quite a large number of people were in cadets at, at that time, boys and girls. Cool. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we got uh, a lot of people don't didn't realize it, but the old high school that they tore down. Yeah. yeah. It had a gun range in it. It did. Yeah, down by the where the cafeteria was in the back, there was a gun range there for. Was it for the cadets, or was it just like it was a course? No, it was for cadets. That was okay. cadets and only cadets, but uh, 22s, of course. But that yep. was, you know, the rifles and that. So that's what we kind of were leaning towards. I never gave much thought to being a firefighter for quite a while. And I, I think I told you, but when I first started, we were called firemen. Now, that was the ad that I answered, was firemen. But uh, over the years, it came into being that you, you were called a firefighter. And that was because anybody could be a firefighter, sort of thing. So and you know, and uh, so firemen went the way of, uh, well, the dodo, I guess, in a way. But uh, firemen were also uh, the people on the trains that stoked, you know, that shoveled the coal, and yeah. that they were called firemen. And uh, I guess that's where that came from. But we wound up being called firefighters. Well, and you were mentioning like a few things. We were talking off camera. Um, you were saying how a few things have changed, like becoming firefighters, and you guys brought in the Constitution to become, you said it was 50 no, years? Yeah, no, it was the, uh, our charter, our the union charter. charter, yeah. That's, yeah. Local 2143, yeah, I was a signing member of that. Did you, in, how did I, that come around? Pardon me? How did, how did you guys go look for it? Did they come to you? Well, uh, the gentleman, Reg Longhurst, one of the firefighters, mm -hmm. he had, he was, he came from England and been a firefighter there. Okay. And he knew about unions and what have you, and and we had five people on staff by then. So he said, well, we should, you know, apply for a union, you know, uh, charter. So he got a hold of the IFF and it went through the channels and Gordon Anderson, the sixth vice president who covered BC, mm -hmm. he came and uh, presented us with the charter. And you said that gentleman went on to become the commissioner? He, be, he went on to become the fire commissioner of BC, yeah, Gordon Anderson. Wow. Yeah, well, that was 50 years ago, the 20th of this month. That or is... The last, you know, couple of weeks. What, I don't know what day is it. I don't know what it is. <laughs> that was the day. I'm retired now. <laughs> but yeah, no, so that was 50 years ago, and they've come a long way. A long, long way. One of their fire trucks today have a microwave in it. Really? That's what I was told, yeah. I, I can see why, kind of. I mean, when... In the wintertime, when, when we would be at a fire that would uh, could drag on for hours, mm -hmm. the Frontier Inn was, was uh, I mean, it wasn't in the wintertime, but we were there for two days. I off didn't and realize on. 
Yeah. Jeez. Oh, yeah. Just putting things out and making sure, you know, doing searches and what have you. Because we, we had accounted for everybody, but we didn't want to, you know, miss anybody. So we mm -hmm. went, by that time we could go over it with a fine-tooth comb because it was, you know. It was out. It was safe, and it was safe to enter, too, so. Well, and, and you've been here long enough. Something that I've picked up on is that our, our winters are cold, but winters seem to be a lot colder back then. They, I don't know. if I, You're right. When, when I was a kid growing up here, we'd have, you know, 30 or 40 below weather for a month, maybe. Mm -hmm. I remember in grade 11, that would be 68. Uh, it got cold around, uh, I don't know, 1st of November. Uh -huh. And it never got above 20 below during the day for sometime in February. Really? Yeah, oh yeah. Well, you can look back on the records and that and yeah, see, that's but true. it's a change. One of the big changes that, that uh, when we were kids, the hoarfrost on fences and trees, yeah. that was a real oddity, real oddity. Well, they put the uh, Wack Bennett Dam in uh -huh. with all that open water, and then and the river don't doesn't freeze anymore. So we get these, these uh, frosty days now that... I mean, like I said, when we were kids, it was a fun day because you could hit a fence and all it would fall off all the way down sort of thing. But, mm -hmm. but now, you know, uh, it's more of a rule of thumb than an exception. Yeah. Oh. But, yeah, it's changed. The weather's changed around here. I'm, I don't know if it's, if it's a natural change or we're causing it or whatever. You listen to a lot of it, and I think there is something to global warming, but that's, that's my own thought. Well, let's, I was talking about change. I was going to ask, one of the questions I was trying to think of is, is when you were a young firefighter, um, and you said the gentleman had been there since 1947 of sorts, did you, because like, selfishly, I look up to you, or and I'm sure if other firefighters, if you're the chief, other fighters looked up to you, did you have fire, fire people that you were like, I, I learned a lot from this person, or this oh, is... Oh yeah, there was, a, you know, some of the volunteers had been around for a while, and again, there was no ready, anybody coming in to train you, you got trained on the job, mm -hmm. and you learned... And it was, you learn not to do things, you learn how to do things. Mm -hmm. And it just uh, morphed into, you know, eventually the training came to us. But uh, there, there were firefighters when I started that I, I followed around, you know, religiously to, to learn things. That was one of the things, uh, when I started our protective gear, there was woolen mitts, big thick woolen mitts. That's what you used at the fire. Okay. And in the wintertime, the first thing you wanted to do was get them wet. Oh. And then they froze, and your hands stayed warm. So it would be, okay, so it would create like an igloo effect. Yeah, yeah. And it, but the only trouble is if you were climbing down a ladder, and all of a sudden it was cold on your hand, you look up and your mitt stuck to the rung <laughs> of the ladder. We've been at fires where we, uh, two or three that I can remember where we had to bring the guys back, myself included, in a couple of them, and hose them down inside the hall so they could open their buckles. Because they were frozen. They were frozen, yeah. Jeez. When the, the, the Friendship Center, where it is today, the, the old Friendship Center that was there burnt. Huh? Okay. And it burnt in the wintertime. And one of the, uh, the no-nos in the wintertime was to shut your nozzle off. Okay. You always left it running a little bit. Well, somebody shut a nozzle off there, and we had 150 feet, an inch and a half hose that we had to fold over one of the trucks, so we didn't want to bend it too badly, mm -hmm. we, and took it back to the fire hall and thawed it out. Well, I, after you mentioned that, I went to my brother-in-law and said, hey, can you, what do you do in the winter? He said, never turn off your hose, Ted. And I was like, thank you, Larry, I learned. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, that was that was one of the, the cardinal sins if you'd shut your hose off and it froze. But yeah, no, over the years there was lots of that and cold weather. Well, and when you guys, so if you're firefighting and being paramedics, were there, like if you were a firefighter, did it just depend on what call was in and that's when you, oh, I'm a paramedic right now, yeah. oh, I'm a firefighter right yeah, now? Yeah, you switched back and forth. We had to and that was... Uh, that was why we had such a big contingency of volunteers back in those days. Okay. They were they picked up the slack from to the fires and that. We had one or two volunteers over the years that it, that actually rode with us on the ambulance. Okay. But they had taken their industrial first aid and everything. But for the most part, the volunteers were firefighters. And we were both firefighters and paramedics or EMAs they called us in those days. Emergency medical attendant. Okay. Where, where was your scope? Where would you, where? Our, our area? Yeah. As far as there was roads. Really? Somebody figured it out one time. We covered 460,000 square kilometers. But we went as far north as there's roads. Okay. Uh, up the highway to about 160, well, it used to be 101. They had an ambulance there, and we'd usually meet them. Okay. But uh, 161 was where we usually, that was our border. And then on top of the Taylor, South Taylor Hill and down a couple of miles was where we went that way. And we went to the BC Alberta border through the Beaten River and that. So, And we were on, I was on an 11-hour ambulance call one time up to 161. Wow. Yeah. You would, that would just be so, you'd be so tense for so long. Uh -huh. Well, yeah, there was a lot of, a lot of adrenaline. Well, you went from sitting down like we are, the horn going off and, going from zero to 60 in a split second sometimes, it seemed like anyway. Well, and that's, and that's the wild thing is it's like, that's your day. That's like, you guys would come to expect oh, yeah. that. Your poor hearts. Yeah. Well, nobody ever, I mean, actually the, 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 the biggest uh, illness I think that has claimed firefighters is cancer. And they've actually brought it in to where you can, you know, if you die of cancer, your, your uh, dependents can receive a, a payment. And that if you were a firefighter. That's, you, you guys, the way you speak about your other firefighters too, it sounds like a really, a really amazing brotherhood of looking out for one another. Well, yeah, you know, even back in those days, I mean, there, there was people, they, we locked horns with each other all the time, but it was inside the fire hall, it was never outside the fire hall. Okay. And they were there and you knew they were behind you sort of thing, or you were behind somebody and you knew you weren't gonna, you know, let them down sort of thing. But. Mm -hmm. Ambulance calls sometimes were bad with just two of us, but uh, we managed to get through. Did you ever want to, when you're a firefighter in Fort St. John, is there ever the, the, especially going up, like, is there ever bigger cities that go, we'd like you, or is it just like, no, we're just here, we're in Fort St. John, we're not leaving Fort St. John because it's our home. Like, did you? We never lost too many firefighters to other, I mean, they went on to other things, but uh, some of them, and, you know, there was a turnover, not great turnover. But uh, they went their different ways, but not necessarily to uh, to uh, other other fire departments that I'm aware of, anyway. When, and also, as you speaking of that, it was neat to, to you and I were talking. Um, it was neat to see that you you started at firefighting and you made your way all the way up to fire chief as someone local, someone from here. Mm -hmm. That must have been quite an. Uh, well, yeah, it was quite an adventure. It was 31 years. About well, I was fire chief for five years, and then I took my pension because I had got my full time in and everything. But I, I started when I was 21 and I turned 22 the next day. Okay. I started on the 17th of January, 72, and I turned 22 on the 18th of January. <laughs> that was my birthday. So I was there a long time and we, 
paid into good pensions and that, and uh, came out the other side looking pretty good. But I went through the whole thing. I was training officer, fire prevention officer, uh, you know, captain, and everything else up through the ranks. Is there a favorite part of that you had of it, or or is it all like I'm finding in teaching? I well, thought... fire department or fire prevention. I think we we started going around to the schools. We got so good at it. The one year, a lady, and her name escapes me now, but she wrote us a play. And it was based on the old woman that lived in a shoe. Mm -hmm. And we all, we all had parts, and then I was a narrator. And we took it to all the schools. We actually have it on VHS. We <laughs> have it on VHS. Uh, they uh, filmed it at the Central, when we were at Central. Really? Yeah. And, uh, no, we had, oh, we had a... Uh, it was really, you know, like we had a big fork with a toast on it and you had a campfire and then you had a big knife with it. We made a toaster with this guy, kid with a knife in it and the big frying pan that we, I, I don't know, it came from the Second World War when, around here, one of these big frying pans, about uh -huh. this round. Uh, and it was left on the stove with the handle out, you know, you know, so we pointed all this stuff out in this play and we took it around to everybody. But normally we would take... Uh, We'd, they'd have assemblies, and we would have uh, a film for them, usually Dick Van Dyke on fire safety, or then mm -hmm. uh, Fire Pre-Can came out with these old old lady that lived in the shoe, ones that were really good for kids to understand, to, you know, the actual dangers of fire and that. And of course, there was always the old stop, drop, and roll. Everybody learned that. Yep, stop, I was saying. <laughs> And, but that was, yeah, it, I think fire prevention, like getting out into the public and, you know, uh, doing talks. We also did uh, fire extinguisher training. Okay. Uh, myself and whoever happened to be on duty at the time. We'd go with fire extinguishers in a big tray full of some sort of flammable fluid that we got from a, a, a auto body shop. And we'd <laughs> pour it in, the, in there and it light it on and they'd hit it with their extinguishers and put it out and they, yeah, they, so got, fun. they got first hand first hand <laughs> experience we did uh oh quite a few businesses and uh the old skills development center and the nurses we did one time so wait, they would to, hire you to come in no and... uh, we do that it didn't cost them any money you just go okay we're gonna do this the only thing well the only thing that they that cost them was uh the refilling of the extinguishers okay and uh uh, HK Safety back in those days, uh, if it was for, a, a, say, a, a volunteer group that, that needed uh, extinguisher training, he would refill the extinguishers for free for them. Because that went on a lot, too. I mean, everybody everybody got on board with the fire department. It was really good. Well, you guys really worked your way into the fabric of Fort St. John. I'm thinking of all the social events you guys used to hold. Oh, yeah. Well, we had we started. I mean, their their firefighters ball is coming up now, but our one of our we started the firefighters ball back in seventy seven seventy eight, I think. Okay. And the deal was, it was fifty dollars for a couple and all you could drink. There was no prices on the drinks. <laughs> well, we sold out every year, but uh, we had some pretty good times. But, yeah, it was always well attended very well attended anything we did was and even today i mean when the tickets for this firefighters ball that's have coming up here went on sale i don't know i think it was 24 72 hours and they were sold out so you know people like firefighters that's the thing you guys are pretty great yeah sorry about the police there but they <laughs> no i'll never forget that he, he one of the policemen told me he says you guys, everybody loves you and everybody hates us. 
but we got along with them really well. They, you know, the police in those days, they were, uh, I mean, and they, they commanded respect too. I mean, that was when you seen a policeman or a Mountie, we call them, yep. even when we were kids. I mean, everybody just, I mean, sat up straight and looked, <laughs> looked you know, like, looked, tried to look innocent. Sort of thing. I had but, a friend whose dad was a cop, yeah. and just even at dinner, you were like, hello, yeah, Mr. Moroshkin. <laughs> But once in a while, like when, when I started drinking in the fort and that, any of the hotels, the, the Condill or the Frontier of the fort, uh, when a cop or even two cops walked through, it got quiet and everybody just, you know, respected them and they went out the door. They, you know, nobody ever gave me any, any real hassle that I can remember. I got to ask, if two firefighters walked in, would they just offer you a drink, or would they? Probably just offer you <laughs> a drink. They were, yeah, yeah, no, they were. But no, the the RCMP back in those days were really good people to be on be on the right side with. I'll tell you. Well, and it sounds like you two were, were able to have an understanding because they would also see things like it seems. Oh like yeah, you guys no, were... we we got together a couple of times after calls and uh, had a beer or two. Well, in mentioning it, you were saying it just about getting together as well. I didn't realize this when you because you'd mentioned that okay, they would come over and play pool. I didn't realize that there's there's been three fire halls in Fort St. John, or there's been three because you were based. You said you were based out of City Hall at first. Well, well, town hall town in hall. those days, but that was on the corner of uh, 102nd Street and 100th Avenue, Kitty Corner from uh, the uh, Lido Lido. Theater. There's a lot empty lot there now. Would you like that's where you would sleep and things too? Like okay, where shifts? No, 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 no. Right? That when when the fire hall was there, there was no paid staff. It was all volunteer. Okay. And in 1969, they opened, they built a new fire hall, or the fire hall, the second fire hall. Okay. Up on 100th across from the cemetery there. And you mentioned that was the first time that was yeah, a designated and they had, building. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, that was the first building ever built in, in Fort St. John that was actually built for the purpose. City hall or town hall at that time was in an old garage. And of course they had the fire department in the back and public works was working out some building that they had been donated to or something. And, <laughs> There was, I mean, even today you look at City Hall, that was uh, Pacific Petroleum's building in 1957, the core of the building. Mm -hmm. They've actually added on to it quite a bit and everything, but it's still, it, it, the city's never had a new town hall or new city hall. Public Works building down in Prospect Park here, mm -hmm. that was BC Tell, the building. Really? Yeah, and they, uh, they actually made a really good purchase. It was $1.4 million, I believe. And people were kind of questioning it, but they they got a lot of good use, and they're still using it today. But mm -hmm. it was again not a building built for public works; it was building the public works <laughs> moved into. <laughs> so things like yeah, but the fire hall on a hundredth across from the cemetery was a first building actually built for you know for the city that was purposeful, I guess. So what was it like? Were you? What was it like going to that one, and then what was it like when they opened the new fire hall? Was it a, a kind of a strange feeling, or what was it? Well, I, I wasn't there by then. Because you'd retired by then. All that my career was done in the, whole, the fire hall across from the, the uh, cemetery. We had, uh, there was bedrooms there. Mm -hmm. Like, there was only, uh, there, there's two stories on it now, where, where the, uh, from the bays. Mm -hmm. Well, when I started, there was only one story. Okay. And downstairs there was a kitchen and the two bedrooms and the command room and then the office and then we had the uh, the bays. Huh? And I lived in the fire hall for the first uh, about year and a half. You lived in the fire hall? Yeah, well, we, we were live-ins. Yeah, there, there was live-ins. When I started, there was 
Four of us living at the fire hall, yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay, side note, you, you have a lovely family. How did you meet your lovely wife? Well, she was working at the credit union and I was cashing my check there and drinking in the fort, so it was back and forth <laughs> sort of thing, so. Yes, yeah. Okay. That's very, yeah, a year and a half after I joined the fire department, I got You're married. I didn't yeah. realize that that's a, wow, that's. Yeah, we lived there uh, uh, and then once the paid staff sort of moved out, we had live-in volunteers, and then when in '76, when the top was built, there was four more bedrooms added. Okay. And the volunteers were there, and it was like there was probably still only two two of us on duty. So one took the truck, and everybody met the truck at the fire. But if we had three or four volunteers at the fire hall that were trained, they would come on the truck with us, and we would be able to set up the initial attack right away. Was one of the reasons why they had live-in volunteers. But I was a live-in paid man, and there was, uh, my roommate was Dwayne Netter, he was paid, and then there was two others, Bruce Anderson and Glenn Smith that lived in the other bedroom. There was two beds, and they had showers and a kitchen. It was a home. We never set it on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Probably good. Probably good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, there was other things too, but I'm not going to go into that. <laughs> well, how, how did communication work in a sense? Like now, I mean, everyone has a phone and things like that. Um, how did people get a hold? Like, I assume they just picked well, up the phone. Well, there, there was a fire department number, 785-2323. And there was seven or eight phones scattered around in different volunteers' homes. Carl Lutz, my fire chief, my first fire chief, he had one. Okay. There was others around. And when the phone rang, whoever picked it up would get the address. And the other ones, would, you know, anybody that picked it up, uh, they all had a button on it that would ring the siren. Okay. And there's still one of the sirens, one of the original sirens is on top of the old fire hall today. Really? You can still see it up there, yeah. They had two. They had that one. That one came from the old town hall, as a matter of fact. Okay. And the upstairs in the town hall, the uh, tax assessor in those days, that's where he worked out of. Uh-huh. And he'd, he said he'd come to work every morning and knew we had a fire because there'd be dust all over, all over his desk. Because this thing cranked up like in it, uh, it you could hear it. And then there was another one up on the corner by the uh, Timmy's. Okay. There on 105th and 100th, 105th Avenue and 100th Street. Yeah. Right on the corner there, there was another one. And that's the two sirens that went off. And uh, they had a fan out system where, you know, the ladies would, would phone and say this is where the fire was. And that's how everybody got to the fire. And then when I started, they had just bought six pagers. Okay. They thought that was top of the line, I'll tell you. And of course, they gave it to the paid staff because we had ran the ambulance too. So mm-hmm. from about from that time on, which was about, oh, July of 72 when we got them, mm-hmm. I packed a piece of equipment for the duration. Went from pager to radio, but we always had communications on us. Was it strange when you retired to not have that on you? No, because now I have to Yourself pack on. this thing around. <laughs> No, I, I never got out of it. But yeah, that was one of the things. You packed your radio everywhere. And you got, and I'm sure all of us did, uh, you got, you almost felt naked without it sort of thing or or on edge mm-hmm. when you didn't yeah. have it, you know. So yeah, that and that, that's how it, you know, uh, those days then you just hit, hit the tones and the tones set off the pages and you pushed the mic down and said, we have a fire at, you know, so-and-so, so-and-so. Mm-hmm. And you repeated it two times, and then you headed out with the truck. What were the trucks if you were like? By, 
truck, the first uh, fire truck, our main truck was a 1953 American LaFrance crash truck. U.S. rescue trash, crash, pardon me, U.S. crash truck that was used at an airport and they re, repurposed it in the fire department in Anafield. There was Anafield, a fire department in Anafield? Anafield had their own fire department. Really? Is that for, so, the, for the airport or just because they just had one? No, for Anafield, it was a little, like it was a municipality. Anafield was a municipality? Oh, don't get me started oh, no. on that. But anyway, you had, we had, they had a 1953 American LaFrance. Okay. With a 12 cylinder in it. Whoa. And they had a, a, a water truck. And when they amalgamated with Fort St. John in 67, that all came to Fort St. John. And that's when, when I started, our main truck was a 1953 American LaFrance, but we had the other truck, Unit 1, that they're restoring now, the fire department's yeah, restoring yeah, yeah. that. Well, that was our second line vehicle. But prior to them merging with Anafield, Unit 1, or the one they're restoring, was their main truck. But because the 1953 American LaFrance had more ca capacity for pumping and more stuff to carry. It was a cab over where you sat and the wheels were behind you. So you had to be careful when you're driving it. That would be. But yeah, and then the old tanker truck, we always responded with the tanker too. Okay. Yeah. But there was, uh, and there, there was a rescue vehicle there. It belonged to the civil defense, but they had given it to the fire department. Okay. And uh, we used that a lot for body recovery. And we also used it, believe it or not, to keep warm in the winter when we had a fire and, you know, we did pull up and it had a heater in the back and serve coffee and that in there. Was that so? Did you use that also as an ambulance station, or did you have a designated ambulance as well? Oh no, we had a designated ambulance. When I first started, it was a fire chief's uh, station wagon. And not a lot of room in it. No. But anyway, we used that up until oh, seventy, probably late seventy-two, when the Lions Club. I have a picture or two of the old ambulance. It's got a Ford Econoline with a box on top, really sleek looking. We thought we had died and gone to heaven. It was so nice. But that's what we ran. And then in 74, when the emergency health services came in, they gave us another ambulance. And over the years, we acquired, there was always two in the fire hall. Okay. Yeah. Just, and this is a random question that you don't have to. Did fire colors change at one point? Because I remember oh, red, yeah. and then it was yellow. Yeah, and it, then was it was red. Uh, okay. When I started, and then along about oh eighty or sometime in the eighties, somebody took a picture or somebody studied the color spectrum and decided the best color you can see was that what we called slime lime, but it was lime yellow, and that's what all our trucks were painted that way. I remember, yeah, look, yeah. growing up. That's and if you, I believe it's the city of Victoria still has yellow fire trucks. Okay. Yeah, I seen one on the news the other day. But uh, we called it slime lime, but uh, it all reverted back to red again. But at one time, everybody was running out and painting their trucks yellow. Yeah. Well, how would you, okay, so now we, we have some tall buildings. Did, how does the height of Fort St. John, like has it grown? Like, how, did you have many tall buildings to take care of? Uh, not, I mean, when I first started, no, but then we got, uh, the Pioneer Inn, of course, and then the six-story apartment building up on 102nd Avenue, 102nd Street there, yep. and then the Mackenzie Inn. And we had a ladder truck we bought, I think, that was a 1980 duplex, it was called, but it was an 85-foot aerial. 
Jeez, that's that's a lot of air. Yeah, like well, I think it was, my, my dad had been 85. It was tall, I know that. <laughs> but, uh, and we managed with that. But uh, what we, you know, we were trained on more was the standpipes and how to use them and how to hook up the truck to the standpipe system. Okay. If you go by a building, you'll see connectors sometimes on buildings. Yep. That's for the fire department to charge the uh, standpipe so that you get up to the third floor or something, and you'll have you can roll out the hose and the water's there. Oh, okay, that's what those are. standpipes all through the building. Uh, one is usually a standpipe, one is a sprinkler. Okay. If you, if, you know, the, the sprinkler goes off and you hook it up. You can keep it. Yeah, you can keep it going. Okay. And that was, that's how we dealt with Bigman. We had that, that reached, well, it reached the top, Top story of of the Mackenzie Inn because or the Stonebridge today. Mm -hmm. It's funny, because yeah. You can we, tell how long someone's been here. Yeah, like, we 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 practiced on that one wall down there. Really? Yeah. That, oh yeah. Well, we had and we had a forty foot uh, ladder that you put up. It took five guys to put it up. There was an actual uh, uh, procedure that you had to do. Because it had three flies on it or three sections, and it went way up there. But it also had about halfway up the first section, these poles that were on hinges came out, and they were called tormentor poles. And you had two guys, one on either tormentor pole, mm -hmm. three guys holding the base, and then they leaned it against where we're going, and you brought the the poles back this way and dug them in the ground so that the ladder wouldn't fall down. Well, I guess because if you get to a certain height, I don't think they even use it anymore, but we. The one time we used it, we got it all the way up, and then somebody pulled the wrong pin, and it all came down. Oh, no! <laughs> thankfully, like, we were always trained to keep your hands on the rungs, or on the on the, on the rails, not on the rungs. Oh, because it would squish yeah. you. Oh, yeah. Oh. It would hurt. So, I mean, everybody was holding that. When it came down, it sounded like a machine gun going off. Oh, <laughs> but, yeah, it was a, oh, I don't, know if, I don't know if they even have the piece of equipment anymore at the fire hall, but it's called a Bangor ladder. Okay. And it was uh, it had the tormentor poles, and there was there was a certain way you set it up. That's and something that I've always been impressed with is how efficient you guys are. Like it's yeah, if uh, with the training that they have today, and even the training that we got when we arrived at a fire, there was I mean, in the old days, everybody grabbed whatever they needed and headed for the fire to put it out. Mm -hmm. It's called freelancing. But now, you know, and then we, we went into the command control and there's different levels of command and that and uh, the sides of the buildings, A, B, C, D, and then you report and the whole nine yards. You, you know where everybody is and what they're doing. You have to nowadays. And uh, unfortunately, I think I just seen that they lost a firefighter in New York City. Oh, that was on the news tonight too. But uh yeah, back in the day, we, we never lost anybody. We had the odd injury, but just a little stitch here and there. But thankfully, we've never lost anybody. That's... And we had some pretty big fires in those days, too. I can... See, I'm trying to think of all the fires that I knew. I remember uh, growing up in high school, one of the hotels that was being built, I don't, that was the biggest oh, yeah, fire, Oh, yeah, that was... Yeah, that was down across the highway. Mm -hmm. We had one of the apartment buildings south of the new fire hall. Mm -hmm. The second one in burnt. That's uh, true, yeah. We had the Frontier Inn go up. We had Foster's Feed and Seed. Super Valley was one of the biggest fires we had. Okay. Well, Su was, where's Super Valley? Is that Super the... Valley was up where the liquor store used to be. Oh, yep. Over and by like, moved, the Hairbin and things? Yeah. The Northgate Mall is called then. Okay. It's called now, but that was Super Valley. It was a big store, and it, it went up. We lost it all. Jeez. A lot of explosions and things going on. 
but yeah, that was my big fire. Is there are there things, um, especially with with your your experience? Um, I can I can imagine that firefighting, you could take a firefighter from this town and put them in this town or her in that town, and they would know. But I also assume that with your experience, you had got to know the town and go, oh, like I know this building well or I know this. That must. Oh have yeah, been. we we did we did inspections on every building. True. We went in like that was so that was our training at the time too. We also tested every hydrant in town, so we knew where a lot of the hydrants were. That was our job in the summertime. Mm -hmm. We'd open all the hydrants and flood people out and whatever. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, that that was, uh, uh, we learned on the job, but there was a lot of things we did that, you know, pertained to our jobs and, and we retained so we knew what a building, you know, the layouts of the buildings were mm -hmm. back in those days. These days, there's so many buildings now, but... Uh, and there's computer like on on the trucks now. There's computers, and they'll you'll punch in a building, and it'll punch it out and you say can. what the occupancy is, what the dangers are, whatever. But uh, funny you should mention about going from one department to another. Uh, in 1972, the year I started, uh, they. Uh, the Kinley side report came out. It was a gentleman by the name of Kinley side, okay. and he was studying the fire service in British Columbia, and it was the most unorganized uh, uh, service there was because you could go from one fire department you wound up you had different trucks different procedures different I mean everything sometimes was different I mean it was all generally the same but there was, but there was a lot of differences and in the Kinley side report he re, uh, his final analysis was that we should follow the British fire service because you can be a, a firefighter in London and go to Birmingham or to wherever, any of the towns within Britain, and everything's exactly the same. The rank structure, the fire trucks, the procedures, everything are the same. So it's like another branch of the armed services. And that's what, that's what he likened it to when he gave his report. Was, and that's how it should be done. It was never adopted because we still have different fire trucks and that. And I was going to ask about that. Yeah, but uh, it's uh, I'd be, it'd be easier now to, to go from one fire department to another for sure than it was in those days. Was there speaking of fire departments? Um, and now that I know that Annafield was its own municipality, did you were you guys also responsible for the airport, or is that always its own thing, or are you support? The airport support? at one time when, when I started, the airport had their own fire department. Okay. That's where my chief, my second chief, came, no, third chief came from, Don Stewart. Mm -hmm. He, Byron Stewart's dad. Oh. He was uh, a firefighter at the airport. And he came on as fire prevention officer on our department and uh, was made chief okay. when the other chief left. But they had, I want to say, at least 17 firefighters out there at one time. Wow. MOT firefighters. Years and years ago. That was when... The CPR was flying in here, and there was 11 flights every day in and out of here. Really? You could fly from here to Fort Nelson to Watson Lake or whatever. You could fly that way to Grand Prairie, Edmonton, Calgary, that way to Prince George, to Vancouver, and back, all on CPR, and they were all 737s. So the airport was really busy. Those are big planes. I think there were 737s. They're two engines or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that's... yeah well, we used to... That's... Um, when we had an uh, Aravac back in those days, mm -hmm. that's how they went out on the first CPR leaving okay. to Vancouver. We had to get up the stairs and they had a the big bulkhead. They had to remove the bulkhead and we'd bring the stretcher in and take up the, 
first nine seats on the right-hand side when you're looking at the pilot. Jeez. Yeah, Th that was airvac in those days. That was it. So you drive right under the tarmac? Well, I guess, of course you oh, have yeah, to, we, yeah. No, we did. We, uh, uh, in 1977, a JAL came to ground here, a 747, big one. Yeah, Big one. He had a, me a medical emergency on board. Mm -hmm. We went out there and nobody could reach the door. So we got the Mark V fire truck from the MOT fire department mm -hmm. and they brought it over to the door, it laddered the door, put a ladder up to the door off the truck, went in with a basket stretcher, strapped this guy in a basket stretcher, lowered him down the ladder onto the truck and into the ambulance, away <laughs> they went. But. Uh, the, we, I talked, I can't remember his name, but he was an air traffic controller out there because they, that one time they ran out of there, uh, okay. air traffic controllers. And he said that they, they, he knew that we were in trouble when he looked out and he was looking right at the pilot. <laughs> that's, oh, that, so that's, oh, they're so high, yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, you see, the same planes came in for the 1984 Winter Games, but they trucked a set of stairs up from I guess Vancouver or Prince George, wherever they got them from, uh -huh. so that when these planes landed, they could let the athletes off. Is that because they knew from you guys going, this is too high? or is No, I don't know. Like, I think they probably somebody had thought about it anyway. <laughs> but, but when they came to ground here, we never, I mean, nobody was thinking about that. Yeah, that, was, that would be, I mean, we have, I know that our, the, we, our, our air, um, the strip is big enough, but I never thought about it. Oh, yeah, yeah no, they, that, that JLA that landed and took off, I was told, landed in less runway and took off in less runway than the normal jets that were coming in at the time. But there's a lot of power on them planes too. Yeah. So. But yeah, he continued on his way. The guy survived. Nice. It sounds like a lot of your job too is, is creative problem solving and going, okay, there's a problem there. And it's not like you can oh, just stop yeah, and go. Oh yeah, we've like been, uh, I mean, we've used all sorts of things, you know, especially in ambulance calls in South Taylor Hill at the time that pickup went almost to the bottom. And we went down as far as we could, and then uh, we had a rope on, and they they ran a winch out from mm -hmm. one of the front of the, the rescue vehicle. So we tied it on the rope, we tied it on the the stretcher, and we kind of carried it up the hill with as as they wound up the winch. But no, there was all sorts of things we had to do. And I mean, I remember um, another Larry, Larry Evan just mentioning like you well, you mentioned it too. With, with you guys would go wherever there was roads because he said like he would end up in some very strange spots sometimes because someone needed help so you took the ambulance oh, yeah, and you no, went off we went, oh we were we went to uh, PJ one time in the ambulance and when we got there the guy had broken his leg so we we stabilized him and everything got him in the ambulance and uh, the driver Jim was his name he said to me he says Larry he says we don't have enough gas to get back so we looked around and the, we, I, I seen a guy and I called him over and I said, is there anywhere we can get gas? He says, oh yeah, come over here, I'll give you some gas. So we filled us up and away we went. But it was, <laughs> it was on the lease. I, we assumed it was gas. It wasn't <laughs> it diesel or anything, but it seemed to work. But yeah, we've been on them. We used a helicopter quite a bit. And, uh, really? I got there's a picture on the front page of the last guy we knew of me helping a guy out of the he uh, helicopter that's landed right on the lawn between uh, the Catholic Church and the uh, hospital, you know, where the... Yeah. Uh, just a little bit by the where the ambulance station is today. That's where they would land for us. Really? Oh, yeah. I, I had no idea. Because I remember hearing growing up, I was like, oh, there, there would be a helicopter. But I didn't realize that you guys had used yeah. it so much. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, when they, 
they started landing, they put a landing strip right on the old hospital there. Yep. There had to be a fire truck in attendance every time that ambulance came in. That, just to make sure everything went well? Yeah, yeah, just to be on, on the safe side and, you know, initial attack in case something something went sideways. Jeez. So you, you really have seen it all. Well, I don't know if I've seen it all or not, but I've seen enough <laughs> to, <laughs> read, to maybe write a book. I don't know. We'll see. Well, you mentioned that. You said that. You, no, you've got I, got, yeah, I, got, <laughs> I got every excuse in the book for not doing it. So, Well, something that I find really neat is uh, I didn't realize how firefighters, hearing you talk, I asked, again, I asked my brother-in-law, and I said, you know, when firefighters retire, where do they go? And he said, well, they don't, they, they, they stay home a lot, but you guys seem to be so tight that, that you take care of each other when you retire, and it seems... We look after like the, the the four of us that meet every Wednesday, and sometimes five. We're from the old like anybody on the fire department. They never rode the ambulance or never, never ran the ambulance. Mm -hmm. But uh, the last five that meet are are five of the ones that are around here are the last of the the ambulance attendants. You guys are truly a brotherhood. Yeah, and we meet for you know it's a little bit of therapy too. It's over coffee nowadays. It's not, <laughs> over, not over beer, but. But yeah, I'm we sometimes talk about the old days. Well, that would be, that's yeah, that's really nice to hear too that you guys, because it's, it's something to tell someone about something, but then to have someone who was there and could hear it and can smell it and can feel it. Mm -hmm. They, they similar to what you're talking about with the RCMP. Yeah. You have two people, two groups of people who understand because they've been through it together. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, back in those days, yeah, they were so happy to see us because they, that one told me that they, they'd, oh, I don't want to go into it, but. They had to do their own body recovery sometimes, the RCMP, and they did not like that. And it tied up what little resources they had in those days. Sometimes there'd be three three RCMP on duty at night. Jeez, that's not very many for... Well, like, it wasn't a very big town in those yeah. days. But, oh. <laughs> but we, had, we had usually one firefighter and three policemen on duty, and then we would call two more in, mm -hmm. and one would cover the hall, and two of us would head out in the ambulance, and they would send one out. We had a really bad call one time north of town, and... They had two policemen. We got two policemen Ooh. that time. We got out there and we had one, two, three, four, five patients. Whoa. So we had these straps that we hung in the ambulance and that, and we sat one in the front seat, but we needed both of us as attendants to make sure that they they stayed alive sort of thing. So uh, one of the RCMP members, he jumped in the front of the ambulance and drove us to town. Otherwise, we, you know, because we had to be in the back. They were a injured band. Sounds like you guys yeah, really helped. You need help here, we'll help you here. You need help over there, we'll help you there. Oh, yeah, no, that was, yeah, we always, uh, yeah, we Did, seem to get along quite well. This would be a strange question, too, we're doing North Town. Does anyone, I know when I was younger, I called the fire department by accident because my dog had got hurt. Did you ever, have, we have a lot of farms up here. Did you ever get any strange calls about going, oh, we need to move this or this, or is that kind of... Did you ever have to help any animals? There's always the classic one, a fireman gets a, ca a cat out of a tree. No, uh, okay. no, that was, they, uh, even, even when I'd started, they had, they had stopped that. Okay. Bit. I think they lost, uh, uh, not a firefighter, but a BC Hydro hand by getting a cat off a telephone pole. Oh, really? And they said, that's just the way it is. We don't respond. And then the fire department don't respond. And then, of course, in usual firehouse humor, we said, well, you don't see too many skeletons of cats and trees anyway. <laughs> so, you know, but things, but we got a lot of calls. Like, uh, our number was 2785-2323 was the fire hall number. Mm -hmm. And that was our emergency number. And Northern Taxi was 2233. 
the odd occasion, especially on the weekends, we'd get somebody to say, yeah, send a taxi down here or down there. And, and the one night I, I answered the phone, I said, Fire Department Evans speaking. He says, yeah, can I have a taxi at so-and-so's? And I said, yeah, it's on its way. And I hung up. <laughs> but yeah, no, we, we did get some calls like that. But we had, we had animal calls in that too, a couple, okay. yeah. Uh, rescue things or things stuck in things well it's just well, kids <laughs> 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 oh, sorry. Yeah. but yeah no some of the calls we got a call one time uh it was a kid in a dryer oh got in a dryer couldn't get out oh, no. so we got there and they're getting all ready to take the dryer all apart and everything and i'm thinking well jesus he got in there i said how did you get in there he said well i went in feet first i said well come out head first so he turned himself around and came out. Right. But he had went in feet first, and then he was trying to get himself out feet first. Feet first. And they were all ready to take that. But that was, that was some of our better calls, fun calls sometimes. Well, I'm glad. I, yeah. I know that the tough ones would stay with you. I'm glad there were some good ones that, that would come back and go, I remember I remember the ch this child had to get out of the drying machine. Oh, yeah. no, and everybody was worried about him. And then and I don't know why I thought it, but I thought, well, if he got in there, he's going to get out. <laughs> Yeah, so he needed. <laughs> Seems like you guys are like it's a lot of puzzles that you get to figure out. No, oh, yeah. no, it was. Uh, we made a lot of miles too to with that ambulance. I mean, that was outside the city. I mean, sometimes we got two paid firefighters on an ambulance call, mm -hmm. and they're going somewhere where it's going to take them four hours. That left us kind of, you know, more even more dependent on the volunteers in those days. Today they they got a really good crew system there and and a good officer structure and everything. So I think the fire department the fire department today is something to be really proud of in Fort St. John, especially with that brand new building. <laughs> but it is, yeah. it, it's um, I was trying to look up. I mean Isaac Newton once said like you get to stand on the shoulders of giants to, to get. But it's neat to know that because I grew up with the fire um, fire hall over by the the Catholic Church. And just you guys were always part of life. Yeah, I remember now that you mentioned be coming into schools and teaching and also oh, right, the fire. Right. And so it's neat to go, because the fire, firefighters today are just so important. Um, but it's a, it's a huge history that they walk into. And so it's neat that you yeah. guys hand it off and that you, you do that. So thank you. Yeah. Well, we, we had a lot of, uh, and I guess they still do them, I don't know, but we had a lot of tours, especially in June when the teachers are looking for something to do while they're waiting Larry, for that's school very true, man. <laughs> It's coming they, up. They'd so. come down and we would... Uh, we used to let them try on our hats, but then we got a, a bulletin from the fire commissioner's office saying that do not let children try on your hats because by that time they weren't the old, uh, you know, just the old light black ones. Mm -hmm. They're the heavy ones with uh, flaps and uh, and they were heavy. And if you put it on a little kid, it, it and what happened was it, it, it didn't break his neck, but it dislocated yeah. something, the hat. So we never let them try hats on again, but they used to like, they'd always want to hear the siren on one of the trucks. Mm -hmm. well, I, well, it wasn't me. I forget who it was, but they they had a tour, and this they this class said, "Yeah, we want to hear the siren." Well, he hit the siren on on the main truck, and it just just holy moly! <laughs> the one kid he took off running. He he, he just went. The guy said he just went right out the door, and the other guy and when he looked over, one kid had already beat his pants. It was unfortunate, but they they wanted to hear the siren. Yeah, he but they're loud. But yeah, no, they're little. So he, you had to be careful on, you know, things. And uh, The older ones, we I can't believe we did it, but we used to let them slide down the pole. 
Okay, is there a st- but th- that their poll existed? Uh, I never went in. Oh, yeah, was- no, no, there was a poll. I think they might have uh-huh. moved it down to this one. Okay. But there was a poll at, at, at the one across from the cemetery, yeah, because we, we had it put in, and then we we had it, uh, for a while it was just open, you just grabbed it and went down. But mm-hmm. then uh, the WCB made us put in a, a door that dropped and went like this so that you wouldn't act- somebody wouldn't accidentally fall down the the thing. But, oh, okay. Yep. Yeah, the old joke was that we had two poles there. Uh-huh. We had one that came right to the floor, and then we had a U-shaped one. <laughs> so you, whoop, let's go back up. That was for false alarms. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How much longer have we got to be here? <laughs> no, this, uh, this is this has been really. I, I really appreciate it, Larry, because I know that being a firefighter, there's lots you can say and there's lots you can't, and and. Yeah, I just wanted to, to highlight and appreciate all the work that you guys have done because when Fort St. John, as it grows, the emergency services are always there to make sure that it can grow safely. And yeah. when things go up on, in flames, you guys, yeah. something that I've always been super impressed with is in a fire, everyone runs away from a fire and firefighters don't seem to act twice. They just go to it and they know what yeah, to do. Yeah, you're running in. You're running in with a whole bunch of people are running out. I think that even applies today. Yeah. But yeah. No, the the services today, I mean, I'm so glad to see that the RCMP are getting a new building because that building's been around for a long, long time, the one they're in now. And then you know where they were before that? No. They were across the street and just across from City Hall. Oh, okay. So like if Tim Hortons is here, there's that building there. Yeah. That's the old... Yeah, going this way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That was, well, when I started, the RCMP that came in that were single, yep. they lived up upstairs there. And they didn't have much to do. Of course, when they found out we had a pool table, they, you know, and what have you, they used to come down quite a bit. And mm-hmm. You did sure. mention they would wake you up at midnight sometimes. Oh, yeah, they, uh... yeah they, they got bored. Come on, wake up, let's play some pool. <laughs> but, yeah, I know it was fun. Was, you know, and we'd, we always accommodated them. <laughs> well, thank you for accommodating me today. I really appreciate this. Well, I really this. appreciate you listening to me, I guess. Well, you've got I got a million more, but I don't know. I just everything. I'm looking for that book in the next ten years. There'll be volumes one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I'm assuming with all the stories you have. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again. Is there anything yep. that we missed that you'd want to mention, or do we? Not really. I think it, I mean, uh, I I miss the old firefighters that that have since passed, and uh, I know a lot of the new firefighters that are fighting fires today, and a lot of the officers, and. Uh, we're in good hands with both like getting back to the police station and that that's they're keeping up with the times too because the city has to supply that building and they've they've got a really nice building happening there and i know that the police are very appreciative of it and as were the fire department when they moved i mean when i walked in that door it was shiny every the floors were shiny it was only a year and a half old when I started. Really? Yeah. Oh, I guess yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was a building, and you know, councilors. Well, we called them aldermen in those days, but the councilors would come down and visit with us and that, and just have a look at it. And I think they were as proud of it as, as our fire chief was. Carl Lutz was the one that fought for it. Okay. But they were living. They had two, two bays in that old building, and then in the back of one bay was a bunch two or three old couches and a beer machine. <laughs> was pretty much all that was there sort of thing. And that, that's all they had there. There was no place to gather or anything other than sit around in there. 
There's a story, and I never really had it confirmed, but I, I've been told by other people, they, of course, back in those days, people smoked uh, cigarettes. Mm -hmm. And I guess somebody dropped an ash or something in one of the sofas, and they went home, and then the bell went off, and they smoked pouring out of the fire hall, and they put the couch out. And that was shortly, I, but Carl, I know there was a few people that really pushed for the new fire hall. And especially after they got the vehicle or the, uh, the units from uh, Annafield. But yeah, they got, they got old number three and number four, which was the tanker. Okay. Yeah. Do you ever feel, when you drive by that fire hall now, do, it, it still, it looks different, but do you oh, ever... Oh, I think about it when I go by, yeah. yeah. It crosses my mind. Drifts across my mind sometimes, but... But yeah, it's uh, yeah. Spent a lot of time in that building. Didn't we? I mean, you lived in it. Though. Yeah, well, I lived in it for a year and a half, and then we worked, you know, two days, two nights, and four days off. And well, when you were living in it, when you had time off, did you just stay in the hall, like you? Pretty much. Man. Well, for the first year, because we were also gung ho, we didn't want to miss anything. But, <laughs> and then I, I started getting out a little more and. You know, going out and that, but of course, when we, after we got the pagers, we, I, I felt easier. Yeah, that makes sense. I felt easier going out because I know they could get a hold of me, sort of thing. Yeah. I wasn't going to miss something. That was, that was, that was <laughs> thing, but. Firefighters are, are a special brand of. It's uh, yeah, you, yeah, you guys are a uh, special type of person. We were talking at our little coffee touch there the other day, and a couple of us we rode on the back of fire trucks. That's right. You said that, yeah. So yeah. you would just hold on, and it would drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did that, and uh, a couple of times. Old number three, I remember sitting, and it was, oh, it, it, of course, showing off because we had this, and we were going past all these people, and we're not waving at them. But, <laughs> I'm holding on, but we're making sure they can see us. But yeah, that was on end in the back. I, that that was. Uh, I'm not going to say rare, but it wasn't as common as you would think because you had to be at the hall when the truck left, sort of thing. That's so okay. Good point. So if we were out somewhere or whatever, yeah. This is, and this isn't meant to date the town. What were the roads like back then? Were they gravel? Were they paved? Uh, were they... A lot were graveled. Okay. A lot were graveled. The main ones were paved, hundredth and a hundredth, and maybe hundred and first and that. Okay. Yeah, they paved them. I, I don't remember when they paved them, but I remember riding them as a child, and they were gravel. That's on our bikes and that. Mm -hmm. When Safer, the supervisor, the store that burned down, yeah. when they built that, I believe in 50, uh, where was that, 60, 160, I don't know, somewhere in there. Well, they got a paved parking lot. Well, every kid in town rode up there with their bike to ride around on the pavement. But, There's nothing quite like yeah, the street yeah. pavement for a bike. Oh, yeah, especially after the gravel around here. Yeah. But anyway. Well, thank you, sir. That's This has been great. You. Uh, I'll start off. I want to say a big thank you to um, to our technical crew. I know that Ben is behind the scenes right now. Thank you, Ben, for making sure everything works. Larry, thank you for taking the time out for this. I, I really appreciate it. And I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Have a good night. You too. And that's uh, Voices of the Peace. Thank you, everybody. Have a good night.
Thanks for listening to this energeticcity.ca podcast. Energeticcity.ca is your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To help keep us independent and to support this podcast, go to energeticcity.ca slash join.